0: Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talk Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast on the internet because I enjoy it. You listen, and I like watching that you listen, so it's okay. Thanks for checking it out, and we're going to have another great conversation today. Uh, without further ado, we got to always, like always, we got to t- plug the title sponsor of the podcast, and that is Go Fast Don't Suck. Go Fast Don't Suck, awesome, awesome match banners, jerseys if you want them, uh, dry fire decals to dry fire in your basement or your living room, wherever your significant other likes it the least, because that's where you're going to get the best and the most efficient dry fire possible. So go check them out, gofastdontsuck.net. Put in your order notes, Manny sent me. i greatly appreciate that. Move on with your day. Without further ado, we are sitting down with another Masterpiece arm shooter, uh, Mr. Chris Britt. Chris, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having
0: me. Uh, thank you for coming on and accepting the invitation. I think, I, I can't remember it now, it's probably got to be five or seven MPA shooters now, so we're making the rotation, and uh, you are certainly la- not last and not least. So,
1: <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. An argument could be made for both of those.
0: I mean <laughs> o- only in your own brain but that's not in my thoughts so but uh Chris um as you said in the pre-show you do listen to these so uh you probably know what the first question is and is who are you and how did you get into shooting
1: absolutely I am Chris Britt I am uh sponsored of course I'm one of the lucky guys that gets to be sponsored by team MPA and uh, shoot those ma- wonderful masterpiece arms guns uh I got into shooting I grew up kind of out here like this in the country, so I shot long guns, shot rifles, uh, shot shotguns, some of that stuff when I was a kid. Um, was kind of, you can tell by my pasty skin. I'm a little bit more of an indoor boy than an outdoor boy, so uh, that kind of went away when I went to college and uh, started working. Uh, work life stress life starts to build up. You start to find try to find something to blow that stress off and. I just happened to have uh, seen a local internet post for a fun shoot at my local indoor range. Uh, I went to that. I watched some of those guys shoot a USPSA style course of fire, and 45 seconds in, I knew I was going to have no money for a long time. Uh, it was just, it looked like it checked all those boxes for me. So I, I went from nothing to uh, starting out with the Glock 34, then moved my way all the way up to where I am now. Uh, just shooting through, and uh, I've gotten the whole gambit. I shot the matches, and I'm like, "Hey, what if we did this on a stage?" And they're like, "Well, why don't you set up a stage for us?" I'm like, "Okay, cool, I can do that, and do that for a little while." And they're like, "Hey, why don't you set up all of our stages and run our match for us?" I'm like, "Okay, okay cool, I can do that. Let's do that for a little while." And they're like, "Hey." we'd like you to be president of our club. So somehow I got roped into doing that outside of a vote for my local Asheville Practical Shooting Association club. Uh, that was in probably 2015, 2016, something like that. And just been plugging away ever since.
0: Wow. So you've really gone the gamut of being a very new shooter to, you know, even being a president of a club. So when do you think, Did so what do you think? You started maybe 2013, 2014, just getting into the sport or –
1: yeah, it was about 20, like mid 2014, uh, maybe late 13. I shot a couple of the fun shoots, the indoor matches, and they kind of tried to explain to me what the outdoor matches were and, and how much more fun that was. And I kind of resisted until uh, the weather warmed up a little bit. We're, uh, we're up here in the mountains of North Carolina. So the, the winter times are not exactly warm and sunny up here. Uh, so they finally drug me out to one. I think it was August, September, something like that of 2014 had no idea what i was doing i had watched these guys do it a little bit i had read through the rules but you know when you read through something pretty quick you retain like 40 percent of it so that's about all i had uh had a glock 34 at the time and decided that i i didn't want to shoot minors but that was production was what there was i think i shot one match in production and realized that that was not for me and moved along to from the 34 into limited minor and then to uh Uh, 40 and shot the glocks in
0: 40 for a while in limited okay now did you did you enjoy shooting major 40 or did you feel that it was too abusive
1: i absolutely enjoyed shooting major 40 uh i started uh, shot limited in actually 40 other than nine major right now that's pretty much what i've shot for the whole time uh, I realized quickly that uh, Chris is not really a minor scoring shooter, so major scoring is for me, uh, and that kind of left limited major or open. Uh, at the time, I didn't really feel like I was good enough to shoot open. I, I saw some of the guys. I'm lucky in this area. Uh, I've been shooting uh, in with a lot of heat in open uh, around in my local club area, so uh, down in South Carolina and Belton and Spartanburg and some of the other places around, so I was lucky enough to see what they could do. And I knew I wasn't ready to do that. So I hung out in limited for quite a while and shot 40 for probably four or five years going back and uh, back and forth with different limited guns, uh, shooting 40. So no, I absolutely love the caliber. I'd, I'd shoot it now if they'd let carry optics or limited optics have it.
0: Oh yeah. Cause then, yeah, you get major scoring and have a great old time. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Chris throws some Deltas.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. oh, mm, oh I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a sneeze all day so i'm gonna have to mute this real quick and sneeze <laughs> <laughs> but of course as soon as i do that it I, the sneeze goes, it away, goes away which yeah so it's always that magical experience so so now did you feel eventually did you feel like you were outrunning the glock
1: oh no no, no <laughs> i'm not that good uh i I actually, uh, an older gentleman, uh, used to be a, uh, he was an A-class shooter back in the day and kind of got older and had some health issues and was getting out of it. And I resisted and resisted pulling the trigger on any 2011 because I'd shot a 1911 before and knew it would be kind of the same, but the, the, the amount of, uh, monetary input in this sport, when you shoot a Glock versus the amount of monetary import in this sport, when you shoot a 2011 is a little bit different, especially in that entry level. So. Uh, I hung out as and held out as long as I possibly could before I finally made the switch over. But as soon as I pulled the trigger on my first 2011, I knew I was in trouble. I knew that was where I would go. And as soon as I shot my first open gun, it was the same feeling. I knew that I, it was going to cost me a lot of money. So mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't shoot open. I didn't want to shoot it until I knew I was at least had some fundamentals about me. So I made a deal with myself. If I made a class unlimited that I'd jump over and start shooting open and somehow I've tripped up on a couple classifiers and made it to like seventy five point something percent and limited. So I had to keep my own bargain with myself.
0: Fair enough. Now um did you own a an open gun prior to MPA or was that the fir- your first experience in open?
1: Well every limited gun, I like the Glocks. They always ran like you would not believe. They were perfect. And then I bought somebody's project open gun to try to stay on a budget. I wanted to shoot open. I didn't want to shoot a CZ, but I saw the problems those guys had and like, ah, I don't want that problem. So I bought like a $2,000 2011 somebody's project that they built open gun and it ran when it wanted to run, and it didn't run when I wanted it to run, and mm-hmm. it, it, we had a love hate 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 stressful relationship and I was fortunate enough to shoot around uh, with David Lyle uh, with MPA. Uh, before he started with MPA, he was kind of the mad scientist in the the area around South Carolina. He was the guy that if your gun didn't work, you could send it to that man, and it didn't matter what it was. That man can make a high point saying. So he asked and asked and asked and eventually I let him work on it enough to where it would run. And as soon as it started running, then I was lucky enough to get an email from Travis that said, Hey, we'd like to have you shoot an MPA. And who turns that down? So uh, I kind of helped him help a little bit with the, developing some of the lefty stuff with David and it's just taken off from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gotta be cool. Now the question is, did you keep the project gun or did you kick that down the road?
1: you know, it's that crazy girlfriend. Like you just can't, yeah, I, the number's still on my cell phone. It's still sitting in there in the safe. I, I She's still there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to talk to her, but every once in a while I'll be walking around feeling sentimental and it comes out. So, uh, but yeah, I still have it. I haven't shot it in probably, I don't know, at least six months or so. Every once in a while I'll pull it out and take it into my local range and maybe put, you know, one match through it, one, two or three stages through it, just to, just to keep it, make sure that I, just to convince me that i need to be where i'm at shooting the gun that i'm shooting currently (laughs) it keeps me humble
0: right fair enough yeah and you know it's always that first open gun that seems it's like it's it grows on you although it it deserves to be in the safe for being not running right
1: (laughs) yes well most guns it's it's hard for guns to leave a safe and it's even like limited gun all my guns i kind of get attached to them especially competition you know Any gun that's taken your blood a little bit, somehow you kind of form a bond with. So uh, they're hard to leave the safe. And especially that first open gun, that was kind of like, you know, your first baby's goalie gloves or something, you know, something you want to hold on to.
0: Right, exactly. So how did it feel when you got that, you know, notification or email communication from Travis saying that they, you know, they wanted you on Team MPA? How did that make you feel?
1: Oh man, I, I, I didn't know how to react. I thought it was fake to be honest with you. Like I, well, not fake, but I, I didn't, I didn't believe it. I did surely didn't believe that it was meant for me. So I, you know, if you look at the other guys that are on that team MPA and you, you look at the caliber of shooter that they are. And then you go watch, well, if you go watch some of my videos, they may look pretty similar. But if then if you go look at the scores matched up with those videos, you'll see why I'm, I am where I am <laughs> as opposed to where those guys are. Those guys are on a different level. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, I was in shock and I just, uh, it took me a little while just to realize what was actually happening. This was this happened right as they were first opening, first developing the open guns uh, before David, before they even had released the open guns. So I waited for probably two or three months. Like I didn't tell anybody, nobody around me knew that I was going to be shooting for team MPA. I didn't want to say anything until I didn't believe it until I really had the gun in my hand and was there for it. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of kept it quiet and didn't say anything to anybody until I actually had the gun in my hand. But uh, the experience is just uh, I can't describe it uh, for somebody like me to be able to, to shoot with these guys and to, to talk with these guys and hang with these guys at nationals, get points from these shooters that are just in a class that are nowhere near me. It's it, it steepens or It makes my curve much easier to climb.
0: Right, yeah, and it it's probably one of those things you wanted to keep close to the vest because it was, you were so proud, you know, as you are in shock, but it was definitely something it's nice to then be able to pull back the curtain and be like, "Ta-da, here's on my green." <laughs> ah, check it out. Yes.
1: Yeah. I I'm I definitely wear it proudly. Like, you know, I am I'm, I'm still not exactly 100% sure how it happened, but uh yeah, you know, it's one of those uh, talladega nights things, you know, you try to take this from me, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. So, right? <laughs> But as, as
0: they say in Talladega Nights, if you're not first, you're last. And
1: that's if you, you know, like I said, if you go back and look at those scores, that's kind of kind of how it stacks up.
0: <laughs> well, and, and, and truly in Open, that's what it seems like. If you're not first, you're last. And because everyone's got to be fast, everyone's got to still be accurate. And it is a true foot race in Open division.
1: Yes, especially now, man. It, it seems like in the last couple of years with, with the MPAs and with the, the the new version of the Atlas guns and some of the Carns and the Venoms, like the open guns that are out there right now, nine major used to be a little bit beastly to try to tame. Like people were kind of afraid of nine major when I first started out. It seemed like everybody shot super. Now mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of nine major guns out there that are shooting pretty flat. So it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing to be able to to watch some of these guys go out there and run and shoot. The timing of it, the dance.
0: Right. Yeah. And and it, and it somewhat seems like it's maybe it's not even if it's flat. It's just kind of how the dot returns. Like I know personally yeah, on my good. gun, my gun is not necessarily quote unquote, someone would call it flat, but the dot goes, you know, it just comes right back. So it's super repeatable. You know, I don't quote it and promise it like that, like Atlas's branding for it because I think it's a little silly, but I mean, because that's what a gun's supposed to do. It's supposed to return to zero. But uh, yeah, it just seems like when the dot comes back, you just can pull the trigger again.
1: Yes. Anybody that shot a gun that's not balanced well, though, that wasn't built by a a quality person, you know, when you start watching that dot going this way one time and that way one time and then somehow going this way one time, like it, it definitely makes you think more. And if you're thinking shooting open, then you've already lost.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely. And you got to have really solid fundamentals. I mean, although the grips are super heavy, um, you still need to be able to grip the gun properly. Oh yeah,
1: it matters. You got to be able to hold on, and if the push out's not right, then that little red thing's not going to be there, and then you've lost. You know, what, what you're trying to the two tenths of a second you're trying to make up and cut off on that draw, you lose a second and a half because you're taking that extra two tenths.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. It, and that, and that's where it really comes down to is kind of like that uh, consistency too, where it sucks. But you got to be super consistent because your competition will be, and and they they will capitalize on your mistakes.
1: everywhere and from from gm right on down through the b-class where i you know it's where i'm sitting and man the b-class heat for me is just as heavy as that gm heat is for those gms like if you look back at a lot of the majors the the points in those that it's not very far apart it's it's a pretty narrow field down here way down here in the the bleachers and the nosebleeds where we play too
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely and 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 that's kind of one of the nice things is you know don't feel bad i am still b-class open as well and it definitely is like you know, like like if you go to a local match, sometimes like, oh, you know, I'm consistently beating this person. And then somebody comes out of freaking nowhere for a major match because you just stumble, and then it's like, eh, it's all over. But
1: one stage.
0: Yeah, it, it, all one stage could do it, especially when it's like 130-point stage and you frick up and you're off the pace by two seconds maybe. And then, then it's all over from there.
1: Or you just lose that red thing, but you're like, those targets are close enough. There's no way I'm going to miss those until they start scoring.
0: Yes, and then you're like, "Where, where am I?" Like, eggs? "Wow, what, what did I see? I have where was
1: I? Were my eyes closed? Like, I don't know what I saw." <laughs> I have to go back and watch the video to see what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, a little bit is you know we we talked about your MP, you know, just getting an MPA. Um, was there a like when you had to switch from the old gun to the MPA? Was there how much of a learning curve did you have?
1: Um. There was a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, The old project gun was a little bit, uh, it was more of a a shorty, uh, kind of between a shorty and a midi, and the the MPA guns are a a full length. So the extra weight uh, was a little different for me, just swinging like I I found that I would kind of overswing targets a little bit coming in. um, But then I also found that I could split those targets that I overswung three times as fast because the dots were turning back and going back to where I wanted it to go. So I, I had a little bit of a curve, just learning to wheel it around. And, you know, like you said, we're running around with the open gun. So it's a lot different when you're running with a three or four extra ounces of weight out there on the end of the gun than it is. If you're just kind of stepping and, you know, moving from one spot to the X like a classifier. So it's mm-hmm. um, it's like, you know, maybe a couple of matches to get used to, but certainly no, nothing that was crazy.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And, and it especially helps when you've got a company gear that actually works for you. Like, it's funny enough is like most of our gear that we use on our belts is the same. Funny enough, like, um, you guys are all running dominate. Well, most of you are running dominate defense belts. Um, like I, as I say, the best belt, you know, made in America, made in Idaho, best belts in the industry, in my opinion,
1: hands down. Like I, I was a double alpha guy for a long time and finally got the opportunity and switched over to, to use the the, the dominate belt. And I never realized I didn't realize how difficult it was to get your other belt tight until I could really ratchet this belt down and get it tight and have how much more secure it feels sitting on you than the, mm-hmm. the double alpha belt did for me.
0: Yeah. Well, then, you know, you're, you're running a div tech from Nathan. So, uh, you know, he, he, he's he got to love that you're running one and it's a uh, super, early, uh, super colorful.
1: Oh, Yes. Yes, and it uh, it helps with my little uh, little bit of OCD tendencies too. That uh, the pre-stage routine and the post-stage routine, like it. Uh... It always comes the first mag always comes from that back magnet. And Mm -hmm. I learned my lesson long ago from putting half loaded magazines back on my belt, that no magazine goes back into a magazine pouch until it's been fully loaded. So you'll see a stack of mags like up on my front magazine or on my front magnet. It's because something happened on that stage and I'm not putting them back over here until they get back fully loaded.
0: Right. So, well, and honestly, you're not the only one. I do that as well. Like all like the mags used on the stage, go onto the magnet, and whatever round you rack out of the gun is the one that goes back into, like, the Barney mag that actually is in the belt. So that, that one just gets put back in the magazine pouch after that's taken care of. But I agree. Oh, absolutely. It's, it yep. sucks. After when... you look at it,
1: make sure you got no little dirt on it, no paint, nothing on it, and it's still a perfect bullet. Absolutely. That one goes back right in the top of it. And I keep a 155 on the back of my belt as, like, my pacifier for in case everything else has gone wrong for the stage. I know that it's there in, like, a non-magnetic, like, fully enclosed double-alpha mag pouch where... Even if I somehow fall and roll for thirty seven feet, it's still gonna be there. I can get up and if nobody said stop, I throw it in and keep going. So it's kind of my pacifier back there. It stays there for my Barney.
0: Right, yeah. And absolutely. And that's that's one of those good ideas is you know, I, I've been thinking about those heading pouches. They are pretty, but there's something about the double alpha pouch that just holds your mag really nice. Um
1: but well. I tried to go full out. I I did the Hennings. I went to the, was it the Mm T900s? That's the, or is it? Yeah, that's what the, I can't get the holster and the mag pouches confused. So I went full out, got a full set of three of them, and I learned lessons the hard way in everything that I do for the most part. So I took off on a stage and went running really hard. And when I did, I hit one mag on the way down with my elbow and I hit the other one on my way back up with my wrist and instantly had what started out with three mags on my belt ended up with one mag kind of like loosely hanging from my belt so I, I may I learned that I needed one back there that's just no matter what happens I've got I love the hitting pouches like for my first mag the reload and for my second reload it, it's awesome to be able to even though those double alphas don't have to move very far to come out just mm-hmm. to be able to slap it almost straight up it's it, it it definitely has made my reloads better by being able to have at least that one handing mag pouch right there in the front for the one reload. Because mm-hmm. let's oh, face it, it, if we're doing more than one reload as an open shooter, something's gone wrong.
0: That or we're in Canada.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Or New York or, you know, South Canada, one of those States like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I feel bad. I've got plenty of friends who uh, are open shooters in, New, um, in Canada. And it's just like, it's so sad to see them have to go back and rivet their magazines to 10 rounds. And it's just like, this is no fun. I would not want to shoot open division with 10 round max.
1: <laughs> no, that wouldn't be fun. Like it'd be, I mean, it would still be fun, but it would be a lot less fun. Cause it's still, you'd mm-hmm. just be like the, like production or single stack. If your feet are moving, you're reloading.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be done, but it's not enjoyable in my opinion. But, uh, but um, I guess I have a question. I don't deal with many people who are left-handed, right? Especially who shoot Most 2011. Most people don't. So <laughs> how, now I'm assuming that on the left, your gun is pretty much a right-handed gun with a with an ambi safety and a different um, slide wrecker, right?
1: Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of left-handed people uh, want like full left-handed. They want like the Glock, like they want to switch there so they can use their thumb on like, just like right, like you wrong-handed righty people do, you know, mm-hmm. to drop the mag that way. Uh, I've I've got some tiny little hands. So even if I wanted to do that, like, well, I have tiny little hands and I'm poor or grew Mm -hmm. up, you know, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't afford to have all those guns where I could switch things over like that and be fancy. So I just got so used to shooting left-handed, but coming out of the trigger guard and hitting the mag release with my trigger finger Mm -hmm. that it's almost impossible for me to change. I can do that so much faster than trying to I'd have to move my grip around to do it on the other side. So I keep that the same, but then I reprofile my safeties like the, you know, the, the ambi safeties, they're all made right-handed. So I have to Dremel that side off a little bit and kind of clean up the front side of the other one a little bit. So there's Mm -hmm. some Dremel massaging that's required, but other than that, it's just switching the slide racker to the other side.
0: Yeah. And from what I can tell, your slide racker is different than pretty much anyone else's on the team's.
1: It is. Oh, and, and that's that's again. I like to do everything the hard way. Uh, so I, and again, I was started out poor. So mm-hmm. my first open gun that I had was a right-handed gun, and it had the zig racker on the other side. And I kind of liked being able to come over. The, like it, it was a fairly natural motion to come over the top and rack it with the zig racker on that side. So. I liked it. And that's the way I asked him to build my first gun and then started shooting it and realized that it's probably not the right way to do it. So uh, I had him switch it. And when I had him switch it, it was already milled for a zig racker coming from the other side. Uh, So rather than new slide and new fitting for everything, I just had them, they milled all the way through and we tried different slide rackers to finally get to the softball bat that I use now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of looks like one, to be honest with you. So. Oh, it's
1: obnoxious. It's it, it was its intent was there's several different notches up through it, and he sent it to me to, so I could kind of figure out which one I wanted them to – I wanted to cut it off and polish it down and, and get it fitted to. And kind of as far away up there like it is now, it's almost like the uh, the some of the big ape hangers where it's far enough up there where I can get it and it, the optic doesn't get in the way of, of getting the racker because everything – it's right there in close proximity. So it, it actually it works out well for me. It most of the things that work out well for me will work out terribly for anyone else, but it works out well for me.
0: Right. No, well, that that is true. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. But um now, does it help prop the gun up or does your more your thumb rest prop the gun up more than the than the
1: Yeah, it catches on the thumb rest. Yeah. The the thumb rest sticks down a little bit, uh, or the gas pad. Yeah. Well, no, the, the thumb rest, the MPA thumb rest. We don't use those other words. Oh yeah yeah <laughs> so uh yeah it, it props on it the the angle on the racker is a little bit steeper so it doesn't actually get
0: in the way right which i assume that's how my gun is my guns you know the the thumb rest will more it hits on the thumb rest before it ever hits on the racker unless you're like the guns like upside down or sideways or something like that you know
1: or you got like a barrel that's got a dip in the middle of it or something crazy
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah so oh yeah yeah The like the blue barrel but yeah um yeah now, are you you're actually using the MPA designed um, like golf ball textured uh, thumb rest?
1: Uh, yes. Dave, well, yeah. Yes and no. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it is, but it's just like everything else. It's backwards. So the the mount looks a little different on it because it it's, it mounts to the frame as opposed to mounting to the side of the uh, frame like of the optic mount. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same one, only different. Gotcha. It's, it's what happens. What happens is wrong with being left handed.
0: Right. Now, when you used your other gun, did you have a, a thumb rest or did, or did you not?
1: I did. It was uh, the double alpha makes one that's very rudimentary. That's almost just like a little metal flappy paddle. And you could, it'll be, it's ambi, so it can go on the right or left-hand side of the gun. Just had to have the left-hand side of the frame, or I guess technically the right-hand side of the frame drilled and tapped for it.
0: Mm, okay. So it's not like you had to learn how to use a thumb rest with the new gun when comparatively
1: no actually uh to make it easy uh i took so david had me take some measurements almost like fitting for golf clubs like he had me take some measurements of like from certain points on uh, measurable points on the gun to measurable points on the thumb rest, uh the thumb rest so we could get it pretty close to where it is where it was on that gun so it took a while for me to get it comfortable at what angle and where you know what which notch i wanted it in so he basically kind of mirrored that when he built the mount for the for the uh thumb rest.
0: Oh, very cool. Very cool. So Chris, um, I guess I got a question is, so what currently drives your, your shooting? Like what, what kind of, what drives your goals?
1: Ah, oh, well, it's kind of two different things. What drives my shooting is for me, the first and foremost is just to blow off stress. Like I do this to have fun. If at some, any point in time, I'm not having fun with it. I kind of walk away and remind myself that I'm doing this to have fun. So, uh, that's the biggest thing for me. The other thing that kind of drives my shooting is, uh, you know, every court needs a jester, and I'm kind i kind of, I'm kind of the jester for the team, but uh, they drive me to try to, you know, I, I want to be a better shooter so that I can make the gun look good and so that I can make the team look good because there's a lot of guys that are, like, up here, and I'm, like, right here, but could be a little closer to there. So that's really what's driving me. Like, before I got on with MPA, it was solely for fun for me. I ran around like a chicken with my head cut off. Uh, practice was like an Allen Iverson kind of thing for me like I'd know there was zero dry fire there was zero anything for when I moved from iron sights to a dot I probably maybe dry fired for 30 minutes or so to be able that to just to be comfortable that my same push out from the limited gun would work for it Uh, but once once I sign on the dotted line and you know once it's a little bit more than just me that's running around so a uh, little bit more drive to be a little bit better shooter and, you know, make everybody look good. Not just myself.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, having, uh, having fun is why we kind of do this. You're, you're exactly right. We do it to have fun, blow off the stress. Uh, if we're not having fun, why are we doing it at all? It's like, you know, it shouldn't be causing us too many headaches other than why did I do this dumb move? Why did I, why did I shoot <laughs> that no shoot? Why did I take a third shot here and add an extra second and a half at the end of my stage? Yeah. You always question yourself. Oh, yes. on those all ones. the pillow crying. <laughs> right, but when I when it comes to fun, what made you wear the funky pants and shorts?
1: Ah, oh, that is that is a story. Um, well, actually, it's not a super interesting or long story. <clears throat> I'm a I'm a pretty competitive person. Uh, I kind of always have been. I've kind of been one of those people that if I can't win, I don't really want to play. Uh, I'll take my ball and go home. Mm-hmm. But shooting is such a stress relief for me, and I, I realized that right away and. I was taking it way too seriously when I started out and I started to not have some fun at it. And it was not because it wasn't fun. It's just because I was being too hard on myself and, um, realize it's really, really, really hard to be down on yourself and to kind of, you know, give yourself that talk in the mirror when you're wearing funny pants. So it really just kind of started out as that and just kind of has ballooned out from there. And, you know, it just, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that doesn't, other people's opinion of me doesn't list uh doesn't rank very high on my list i don't really care what other people think of me so it's really more for me than for anybody else and it makes me just makes me
0: happy (laughs) right yeah and and i can definitely see that that's got to be where it's truly fun um but do people ever go up to you and ask you why about the pants or do they compliment you on your pants
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I get little kids coming up to me. I get eighty-year-old people coming up to me. I get people that will come, especially like at nationals. I can't count the number of people that came up to me and were like, "Ah, oh, watch your videos. Like you're the guy with the pants. I watch your videos." I'm like, Man, you probably watch John's videos." They're like, "No, you're the left-handed guy." I'm like, okay, maybe you really were watching me. So yeah,
0: right. And now only and if that John... was weird to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, everyone lives vicariously through the internet. It seems like right absolutely so and that's the funny part too is like that they they'll pop out or you'll do one thing and they remember you for the rest of your life it seems like uh <laughs> but uh that's kind of cool i mean it's one of those things like i'll go to a major match or, or even a, like a different club's local match and they'll be like oh man i love the podcast and it's like you know i i love sitting there and chit chat with those people purely for the fact is that um you know they take their time out of their day to actually tell me that and it's not like they they wait. They wait till they go home to tell me via, like, a message or something. They'll tell me on the range, which makes you feel even better about yourself.
1: Absolutely. It makes you feel good because it's, uh, you know, you edit videos. I I started out, like, recording my shooting not having anything to do with what I was wearing or anything else. I really started out to try to get myself a little bit better because, you know, you can't see what you're doing until you got a video of yourself. So. I started doing that and then it just, I started posting them because a couple of the local guys I was shooting with were like, Hey man, you should put some of those videos out there. I I posted a couple of them and then it just kind of, I mean, it's not taking off crazy. I don't have like some kind of crazy following, but there are a couple of people out like those 10 people out there that hang on my every video. Yeah. Tens of tens of people.
0: Right. Yeah. and, And it's always fun when they, you know, how did I, how did I really just, I had the thought and it went poof. I don't get it, but um, <laughs> I guess that's how it goes, just right? Just get
1: that that feedback, you know, get that positive feedback that, uh, that the time that you're spending mm-hmm. doing it is like, you know, somebody else is getting some benefit out of it other than just you.
0: Right. And then it usually comes, that this is my thought, I guess I was having, is that it also comes with good advice sometimes too, like a higher level shooter be like, hey, why are you doing this? You should probably stop doing this and here's why. Um, they give you, you know, usually like the top level shooters, like I, I don't know how many times I've talked to uh, your fellow teammate, Andrew Hyder. Cause we're friends. And he's just like, why'd you do that? that? That's the wrong plan. You need to do this plan. And then I can kind of see it be, because when he puts six seconds on you on a, you know, 12, 12 rounds stage. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. how <laughs> like, bro, like I, I don't move that slow, but I mean, and you,
1: and then can, we watch the videos and we're and, like, mm, man, I really do move that slow. Jeez. It didn't feel like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you just see like, like like for him example, uh, he's shooting on the move, but he's also one of those guys who has really fast feet. Like if anyone, anything that anyone can say about Max Michel is he has these big long strides until he gets to the last position and he does these like flutter steps as he's coming in. Andrew does the same thing, and I've noticed is he'll, he'll get it moving and then he slows it down with those really fast choppy steps, but he's coming in smooth. He's shooting these targets as he's coming in. There's no hesitation, and usually in my videos I, I definitely see Uh, maybe the hesitation or um, the not soon enough kind of aspects to it
1: yeah I always feel like somehow I guess I'm a half a step faster than I think I am and I'm also a half a step slower than I think I am because when I'm coming around I, I feel like I'm coming around a wall I'm like man I was really up on that and then you go back and watch a video and you're like geez why did like I was eating a lunch before I got my gun up coming around that wall so it's You certainly learn a lot by watching videos, whether it's just a a hat cam or a you know GoPro stuck out there somewhere. It's nice to be able to get that feedback, and definitely makes you better.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, when you say GoPro, are you using like a 3D modeled GoPro?
1: Oh, I got some old school. I um, I actually my hat is you know we'll go back to that cheap thing. Uh, I found the Polaroid cubes like three or four years ago. Who was using those? Forty bucks? Was it eighty bucks for the Wi-Fi? Yeah, I see.
0: So it somebody like,
1: else was using them, but you have to get they. They're not great.
0: Yeah, they're they're what was it? Pop's Quest, Rob Teague from yeah like the Spartanburg yes, area. Rob used
1: them. Yeah. yeah, I saw him with some, and I used uh, I I bought. It took about three to get one that finally worked, but it, they work great, and they just discontinued them. They don't make them anymore. And I had an old GoPro Hero three from like I don't know twenty twelve or something like that that was laying around and. Man, she's still running like a champ. It's been out on every range and been knocked over by shrapnel. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many little cheap, cheap tripods, but uh, the video those things make uh, just for some cheap little cameras is amazing. I've got budgeted away to to upgrade to an Insta when they, when they die. But I even have another cube as a backup that uh, my wife bought me as a present, I think last year, just to, just in case something happens to this one, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep.
0: Where did she find it?
1: uh it was one of those not ebay but one of those other like mercari or uh, poshmark or one of those one of those you know person-to-person site sales
0: right yeah and that's those are always some of those good finds too like the facebook marketplace when i the wife's always telling me hey i found this on marketplace and i'm like that's cool i mean i don't have any use for it now but of course when you need it you, you don't have it so it's just like well whatever
1: everybody's gun stroller came from marketplace i would assume i'm sure my all mine have <laughs> yeah
0: now yeah not, there's nothing wrong with using a stroller um i used a stroller for a short minute and then i uh, i upgraded to that fancy uh metal cart that you can sit on but uh Ooh, yeah well and that's cool cuz i just throw a big old selfie stick like rob taught me you throw the pole in the air and you put the camera up top and it just you point it down at the it gets stage gets the whole thing mhm it's not very oh, cool yeah. for he Instagram, was, uh, but it definitely is good for like analyzing video.
1: Yes, if you truly want to see what you're doing, like the way Rob Teague style, Pop's Quest style videos from that big old boom cam, he uh, it definitely you can see your movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I miss his beard. I saw I watched a video of his recently, and he was like clean shaven, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Someone, did someone beat you or did you really have to get a corporate job?
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he sold out, man. He sold his business and had to go work for the man again. So he had to start shaving it.
0: I don't blame him though. When you become like like him, he's like debt free. So I'm like, I can't blame the man for doing that. Like
1: Absolutely not. To work just to work for somebody else with a no, little responsibility or as little as you need, not having to worry about signing the paychecks and everything. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was easy, like yeah, the stress like, drop. It's like
0: where do I sign?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But yeah. Um what are we talking about? Oh yeah. Great things about video. Um and I love taking video and then like I don't know if it took it it took me a minute to figure it out in my make ready routine. So I don't know about you. Just to figure out when you turn the camera on, when do you do all this and
1: uh, yeah. I'm one of those people that's borderline blessed with some ADHD and some OCD. So for me to have been able to uh, develop a routine in those things is very comforting so uh i definitely have the same like i i've got the same routine i have a it's not quite a gm make ready routine but it's pretty close to it especially when you had to throw the dot in there with it and getting the camera turned on so it's a process but i think i've got it down to like 35 40 seconds now
0: yeah now you run an rts2 correct i do yeah um curious which moa is your dot
1: huge oh so the, you got 10. the 10 i run a 10 yeah i do and 10. People complain that it's huge and especially, you know, there's, I haven't shot them, but there've been several majors here lately that have had some really deep targets, like 30, 35, 40 yard steel and paper targets. Um, We'll say that there, you know, it covers the whole target and that's true. It does, but most of the the matches we shoot, there's enough light out that I can kind of dim it down a little bit to where it's almost like a translucent dot and, you know, it takes a little bit more time to pick it up for the other targets on the stage because it's dimmed down so much, but you can see the target kind of through the dot and be able to call shots a little better, at least for somebody like me. That's how I use my big old dot on those long target stages.
0: Yeah, and I agree. Like, I use an 8MOA, but I'm able to turn it down. But honestly, the bigger the dot is, the better for my astigmatism it is. Like, my astigmatism on Maybe a 1MOA. Dot... Yeah, I don't like the halo, the starburst, the comet. So, like, when I was trying to use a 1 or a 2MOA dot, it didn't work. So I got to like that five range and then I went to an eight. It was like, this is money. And yeah, we up here and uh, at the my home club, we definitely shoot 25 yard, 30 yard mini poppers all the time. And I see no problem in it at all. It doesn't cover up too much of the popper. It's just right.
1: Yeah, I'm evil. I'm one of those match directors. Uh, as soon as they change that rule for the mini targets. I may or may not have hard covered some mini targets or uh, no shooted some mini targets at my matches in the past. I will never confirm or deny it. But once they change the rule to that, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of those mini targets, man. You could tuxedo one of those things and put it at like 12 yards and you really start watching some people splits dropping.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, the, <laughs> that that can definitely be a challenge in itself because it is so small. Like, Because this is the half size target, right? Not a third. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Half is not as terrible as a third size target. Just think about people trying to shoot your dry fire targets on a stage. <laughs> it's like, I can't score it. It's so it's already blown up.
1: Yeah. That, that's the only drawback that I found to using those half size targets in a match is you go through about twice as many, because you have to change them out twice as fast because the, the zones, the lines don't seem to be quite as the perps aren't quite as distinguishable uh, to start with. And then when you start getting some pasters on them, you know, three or four squads rolling through, they get pretty bad yeah but the fun that they are to shoot it's well worth it to throw a couple more out there i make doubles when i make hard cover
0: <laughs> yeah well you, you kind of have to i mean they're just gonna get destroyed and as a match director you know you don't want a stage thrown out because they can't accurately score a target or a bunch of other crap so
1: or they've shot through that target and it's destroyed and you don't have one like it to replace it with like, I guess, yeah. you know, something like that i'm trying to all those situations come up in the past, to try to avoid them by learning from them in the past.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of being a match director, um, you kind of got suckered into it. It seems like in the beginning, right? So, from designing a <laughs> stage to building stages to then running a club, uh, why do you still do it? Ah,
1: uh, I enjoy it, and and when I say running a club, we're we're a very small club up here in the mountains of North Carolina. You know, it's a small club. Uh, my local match, we sometimes we have 10 people we may have 20 30 people it's not it's not you know rbgc or something like that i'm i'm not running a 100 person per weekend match or anything like that so uh most of the guys in our club uh shoot for the fun of shooting you know got some old guys that just like to get out and shoot and i've uh, got some gamers that like to play around a little bit too so i've just enough mix so i can keep it interesting and i enjoy watching other people have fun shooting uh, i enjoy watching people shoot a stage and not run by a target, but have to really break down a stage to figure out how to shoot a stage. Like it, You go through, or I assume everybody goes through, as a match director, I went through several different stages of designing stages. Mm-hmm. When I first started designing stages, it was 32-round close target plow targets because I wasn't a good shooter, and that was fun to me. So that's kind of how it started out designing stages and you get a little bit better and you get kind of tired of shooting those kind of stages and then you become, or I became that like devious, you know, tuxedo targets at 35 yards and mini poppers at the top of the hill where, you know, we don't, we can't even judge that distance on a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hiding targets in places, doing things like that to truly really to kind of, you know, to get the shooters and realize that was not fun, so. Now I figured out, it's kind of fun to, I figure out what I'm trying to make the shooter do on the stage uh, and then design my stage around that, whether it's shooting targets on the move or whether I want to make you go to every corner or whether I want to force you to shoot this steel from over here or, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's fun to play with stages just in the targets too. Like it's a, it's a very different thing if you've got eight yards worth of open space to cover and four yard targets, but those four yard targets are all headshots instead of wide open targets. Like it makes that, Makes that a little bit more of a premium to get the target. So I like to mix that up a little bit too.
0: Right. Yeah. And it, and it's really nice to have that that progression. It seems like of being a match director, stage designer of you know trying to do simple stuff to then pushing it out farther and farther. Um, and it's nice that you've actually you know you're figuring out hey what skill do I want to test? Do I want to shooting on the move or or such and such? Um, now do you, do when you started designing stages? Did you start by taking stages from other matches and then tweaking them for your range or did you just come up with your own fresh ideas all the time
1: um a lot of it was stages that i had shot like i you uh, shoot a lot of local matches i I, have, I shoot probably somewhere between three and six majors a year uh, it's going up a little bit as i get a little bit better but uh mostly i shoot locals you know three or four weekends a month so uh, in shooting all those and you know, it's a lot of you see a lot of stages things that I thought was fun or things that you know cool to stage design or something I would take it and kind of uh, you know I started out just drawing them on like literally drawing them on paper and sending them with my guys and then moved on to the like SketchUp, up you sketch up for a while and the the adult Legos have been life-changing for not as much for me and being able to set them up for for my guys that set up when I'm not able to be there that I guess the I'm not very much of an artist, so uh, they, they're a little easier to interpret what I'm trying to get at with the uh, with the, the 3D stage builder kit.
0: Right. Yeah. See, and I use SketchUp and the 3D builder kit. I don't. It sometimes seems it's simpler or easier for me just to go into SketchUp and play, like on the bases that I've you know I'm used to. But it oh, definitely yeah. it definitely is can be challenging uh, for someone who doesn't know what they're looking at on a, on a SketchUp diagram. Like I, The I biggest don't...
1: thing that got me on SketchUp was the ground. I kept putting everything below the ground. And even when I locked the ground, I somehow still got targets and target stands below the ground. And that just, it'd take me 30 minutes to try to figure out how to get it back above ground. And, and I've lost what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely um, a struggle at the beginning, it seems like. Because <laughs> I do remember those days of, why is this target in the air? Why can't I get it where I want it? <laughs> But
1: just sit on the ground. That's all I want. You don't. Even, you're not even important. You're just one of those targets way over here. Just no way.
0: <laughs> yes. Now I don't know if you use this on your SketchUp, but I was able to get the grids. Put the grids on the ground, so every group like square on the ground would be a, a yard. So it's super uh, easy. Yes. So then you can walk it off. Like all right, I'm 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 five yards up, and I'm four yards over from the side berm or whatever, and then you're able to find where you want to put this wall or and then start and then start building your stage kind of off of those points that definitely speeded up mm, sorry stage building it seems like
1: oh yeah and you know you go through the pro- that was another thing kind of going through the progression of stage design you know some of the first stages were like this is the coolest stage it's got 37 walls and 19 <laughs> barrels and four activator you know stupid stuff and now I'm just I'm like this was a fun stage and we had three walls and a barrel it was cool trying to be as minimalist as possible with the uh props uh but still challenge the shooters and still make people move like it's to me it's not it's it's not a great stage if i could stand in one spot and shoot 12 rounds you know even if i can shoot that somewhere else but i choose to shoot it like man it's you know start shooting that many targets we should have need some barrels
0: Right. Well, yeah. and Simple enough. Yeah. You block it off from a barrel, but I do like I'll review if I review looking at somebody else's stage, like I can pull it into sketchup from if they put it out somewhere on a sketchup file, I'll drag it into my computer and be like, all right, how can I accomplish the same thing with less barrels or less walls? And then you're doing, <laughs> and you're like, okay, so this saves you on 25% of your props. Like
1: <laughs> but in some less props you have out there, less props you have get shot
0: and get to have to put away at the end of the match. Yes,
1: that's the worst part in the
0: summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. But um now, does you say you you know you're in your very small club, you know, you're the match drug of a very small club. Is there ever a chance that you could hold a major match at your club, or is it just absolutely that too small?
1: Um well, we actually um, there's another range that's nearby us that uh, is uh, they're actually you know like I say, when we're up in the sticks, we're up in the sticks. Uh Um, but they are, there's a a, a range nearby that's digging some new bays. Uh, they actually have like five or six of their bays done right now. Their intent is to have some major matches up here, uh, in the Burnsville area. Well, I'm in Brevard, North Carolina, which is kind of South of Asheville, uh, Burnsville where I have my matches is about an hour North of Asheville. So nothing's close to me. Uh Everything's pretty far. Uh, so the match that I run is about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, that range is about an hour and 40 minutes. Everywhere I shoot is an hour and 20, hour, 30, two hours away. But yeah, cause... Hopefully they're going to have some majors up there.
0: Yeah. Well, and even that, like you still went to Rowan this year. Did you go to Rowan last yeah. year as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's about from where I am to Rowan is about three and a half to four hours, depending on the traffic, getting through a couple of cities. <laughs> um, so it's, most people don't realize how long of a state North Carolina is. You just don't, you know, just most people aren't here, or have that much experience mm-hmm. with it but you know it's a pretty long state so it could take well, five six seven hours to get from one end to the other
0: oh yeah absolutely I definitely know that because we used to from Michigan we'd always probably once a year we'd drive down to near the to, kind of where you are um you know Asheville area because I had family <laughs> down there and that's a long drive um that's for sure that's a long ass mm-hmm. drive there's because there's no easy way to get down there either it's like and that's probably a little bit of your area too. Is like you doesn't matter. You got to take a major highway, and you got to go around a city, and then take another major highway, and exactly.
1: And then you got the big the the pigtail roads to finally get to where you're going.
0: Mm-hmm. And no guardrails, so don't fall off the edge of the cliff.
1: No, 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 no. Just uh, enjoy the the view.
0: Yeah, enjoy the view. <laughs> don't look down too far. You
1: might <laughs> yeah. find a, You might see a car. <laughs> it's been there a while. It's okay.
0: Yeah. Now, have you ever – now, Curious is curious. Have you ever seen anybody get into an accident like that where uh, something like that oopsies happen?
1: I have never seen anything that crazy, but there have been – I've seen people – I've watched people hit deer. I was actually on my way to my match one morning to set up the match, and uh, a very rude herd of deer ran into the side of my Jeep on the way to the match. So, like, busted up my flare and busted the headlight, dented the door and the fender, like, everything – uh like did 35 45 hundred $5 dollars worth of damage and I was on my way to set up for the match so that was a great day
0: right yeah <laughs> yeah that's always those <laughs> frustrating things you are just like great luckily you're able to drive it home you know heaven oh yeah them. i was They're... lucky
1: enough to where i was yeah I, I still drive it so i was still able to get to where i was going it didn't slow me down too much and you know back here in the country at that all of the deer, you know, the deer out here, like Superman, you can hit them at 70 miles an hour and they just kind of, you will do $4,000 worth of damage to your car and they bounce off and run away. So they were all gone. So like I got somewhere to be. So roll onto the match. (laughs) Thank God the gun ran that day. So I was able to blow some stress off. That was the pre mpa days, So it was iffy back then.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Now speaking about, you know, you know, we were talking about majors a little bit, but, um, when you go to a major, um, do you try to squad with friends or do you try to squad with new people you don't even know?
1: Usually I try to squad with a couple of people that I know. Um, I, I tried a couple of times to shoot with just with complete strangers. Like I, I shot a Georgia match one year with strangers and I think uh, like 2018 went into nationals with limited. I shot with most with strangers. So I didn't really know anybody. And it's... I don't know. I'm not really a social butterfly, but it's nice to at least have somebody that I'm comfortable bouncing stage plans off of, you know, I, I you know, everybody by the end of the match, cause this is such a, a like-minded type community. You know, we're all basically the same person, you know, once we all start talking to each other out on the range. So you're yeah. instantly friends with everybody that's around. So, uh, but I, I find that if i got a couple of my friends around or, you know, I like to shoot with people that are better than me too. I definitely find that I push myself if I shoot with people that are a lot better than I am, or at least markedly better than I am. I pick up on their tips and tricks. So that's the way I try to squad if I can.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can definitely imagine that. I know I I enjoy that too, but I also like to be the, the, enjoy the guy who's like, all right, chase me today. Like I'll shoot with my buddies who are definitely not as good as I am, but it's like, all right, let's see if you can keep up. (laughs) You know, and, <laughs> like, you know, and see if
1: I can not make a mistake.
0: Well, shit. even if I make mistakes, it's not that hard to still win, but I mean, they try, and when they try, it's fun because it's like, because then you're always asking, What's their hit? I mean, not for it, it doesn't go against my mental process or my mental game, but like, what's their hit factor, right? Like, okay, you know, I, I don't have to worry about anything on this one,
1: <laughs> yeah. I see, I'm my local matches around like my match is completely different. Like uh I my match is once a month, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm so far north where my match is, uh that the circle there doesn't really intersect with the match the circles that I shoot at the other matches down through South Carolina. So mm-hmm. um the, the the heat down in South Carolina, like the there's uh with Hopkins and Tyler, Meisenheimer, uh, you know those guys, and I've got like three or four M's and GMs open shooters, like it's 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 crazy. Like it's it's and there, there ain't no win no local match. <laughs> not even a local match down here for me. Not the, I don't even like the one place we shoot at. They give you a discount if you finish in one of the top three. And anytime I walk up and I can hand them less than my twenty bucks, man, I'm doing backflips away from them. I'm like, ah, somebody screwed up last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Now that's pretty cool. Yeah, when yeah, you've got Hopkins down there, Tyler Mizenheim. You know, good good bunch of guys shoot. You know, David when he shoots up there, or because he moved to Georgia, yeah. if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He moved. He's a little bit closer to where we are in the upstate. Like it kind of, sometimes he makes it up this way, but he's been shooting a lot more majors this year. Uh, mm-hmm. he definitely has been major focused. So he's been traveling around shooting with the other MPA guys at the, all these big matches. Like he's. 13, 14, something like that. He was going to shoot this year. That's too many. Crazy in, for me.
0: in my opinion, that's too many. That's like, you're gone like in the summer. Cause it's most of them will be in the summer. It's not like they spread them out very often. It's not like they spread them out between April through October. It seems like they all sit in the middle. You might have one on the end and one on the other end. And then it's
1: basically everything else is in there yeah. except for the stuff in Florida. Cause they can do it and that not be too, super cold or get dark on you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Florida, it could be nice, but I don't feel like going to Florida. <laughs>
1: maybe in the, I just don't feel like using match sign Up or whatever that non-practice court way is that they all sign up in Florida.
0: Oh yeah. I haven't even think about that Yeah, Cause that could be annoying too.
1: It's, it's not, I'm
0: just that, that, that,
1: way about it. Like it's just something that's not familiar. It takes a couple of extra minutes to try to figure out how to do it again. Cause I only do it maybe once every two years or so when they have matches down there, mm-hmm. like majors.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That that definitely could be something that, I don't know, I, I kind of agree with you. Practice score works. Just keep it on there. Yeah, I can see all the information I need to see, and if I don't have the information, I can get it somehow.
1: Exactly. Pulls right into that competitor app that I don't know how to read and don't have any business looking at anyway.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that that is true. I mean, most of us don't have the business to just read. It makes me any... sad. L- <laughs> it could be a little bit, but then you could also be like, oh, if I didn't have this mic on this stage, where would I finish? And then but
1: that's what makes me sad. But in all honesty, I try to go out and compete against myself. Like I'm, I'm way harder on myself as a shooter than, than anybody else would ever be on me. And I know my limitations. I know that I don't put in the time that those guys put in to be at the level that they're at. So trying to do things at the level they do, it's not realistic. So I just try to go out and do better than I did the time before, you know, I try to track myself and look back at the, my own results through the app and, I try to ch- to stay, to keep my percentage getting better of what those top people are shooting. Like I, whether I finish second or third or ninth or 35th or 137th, if I can increase the percentage that I've shot of like David and Andrew and those guys, you know, if I could shoot somewhere in high B, low A class of those guys, those percentages, like 75, 80, 65, 80% of those guys, then I'm happy. That's and Keep moving forward.
0: Right. And that's honestly that's all you can really ask for too in, in this kind of aspect. And that's what I kind of strive to do is like, you know, shoot the classification percentage, beat certain person, and um I usually have three goals. Oh, and it's usually win B class, but sometimes that's just not avoidable. It's, it just yeah, can't we happen got some, sometimes. Uh,
1: we got some closet M's hanging out in uh area six B class down here, but you know, they, they, they all get moved along after they shoot some beat some majors.
0: Yeah, and that, that's the, that's a good thing on that aspect too. But definitely, I, I was having this conversation with another shooter the other day. It's about truly about being consistent. like if you think about it, makeups on steel, even if you just think about taking makeups on steel and how many shots and how, how much more it adds to your time throughout the whole match. Like if you just cut out makeups on steel and just shoot them once, it, it, you save so much time.
1: Oh. I was one of the well and I still kind of am one of those guys I'm trying to be less one of those guys that's the accuracy by volume so just the time that it takes to take that third shot that you're not really even looking at but you're coming into a position and you put that third shot mm-hmm. on the target just that fraction of a second for three or four shots across the stage you know it's two tenths three tenths a half a second and I mean you live in the open world too that's just not time you can lose so i it took a while watching videos of going back and seeing that if I take the extra tenth of a second to see, actually see that little red thing, and not just pray that it's going to be there or fire and then find the little red thing and then fire two more shots once I get settled in the position, it just it makes so much more sense to pick it up before I start shooting. And yeah. that's hard to learn.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's hard to learn. A lot of people don't they uh, can't and they can't get it out of their head either when they when they do when they're doing something like that wrong. They just can't get it out of their head. But um,
1: Get it out of your head for 10 stages out of an 11-stage match, and then that one stage, you just can't help yourself. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I guess is, with that statement, um, do you find that you are better at the beginning of a major match or the end of a major match?
1: Um, that's changed. Um, I, I used to be – I get better as the day went on just from a, because like I said, I don't really practice, I don't do a lot of, I don't do, it. I don't have the facilities really to do live fire practice in very much at all, so the little bit of practice I do is dry fire practice, so for a long, quite a while, I definitely got better as the match went along. The last Mm -hmm. few stages may start to fall back off a little bit, because I got better and hit that peak, and I'm like, ah, I'm great, I'm gonna send them, and then Mm -hmm. kind of fall back off for a stage or two, but Uh, I found like mentally, it took me a few stages to get into it and to get ready and to kind of get myself into the match, uh, where now I'm trying to kind of prepare myself a little bit more before I fire the first shot and to kind of be basically three or four stages into the match in my head before I really fire the first shot. And it's, it's helped at least a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely can see where that be, you know, can definitely affect your match too. Like if you're, if you're waiting a couple stages to warm up, you know, you're going to be off pace and then you're just like. Those guys who blaze at it later, just like, it sucks because you just leave yeah. you leave a bunch of time on the table.
1: Yeah, you're never going to make up any time that you leave on on a stage, on an open stage. Like, even if you think you're going to make it up somewhere else, you're never going to make it up. It's mm. a lie. <laughs>
0: well, and usually when you try to make it up, it seems like you give it up because that's where the, the disaster factor rolls in. And... Yep. Mm-hmm. So Chris, um, I've got I got a couple more questions for you before we get done with our day today. But um, who um, who are and have been some of your biggest mentors or supporters? Not not including your sponsors.
1: Ah, um, I was very fortunate when I started out uh, here in the area where I shoot um, to have some really good shooters. Uh, some of them older guys that were kind of waning on their way out of the sport um, to kind of give good advice, and some newer guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure uh, Tom Powers doesn't really shoot a lot here with us anymore. He's uh, kind of life took over and he's moved on a little bit. But uh, he's shoot open for PT, and he was one of those guys that made me believe that you could do things with a gun that I didn't think that were possible to do with a gun. Um, and was really approachable, really nice about you know helping with stage plans and helping you know letting you shoot guns and trying to help you through modifications you know letting you know what what's good what was bad um and so he certainly helped from that aspect in in verifying what's possible to do with a gun uh and then in my local club here a uh, guy that kind of well he actually was started the club uh Phil Flack It's a he's an older revolver shooter open shooters. he used to shoot with uh Todd Jarrett and those guys back in the day like when they used to like the combat shooting where you know you had to roll around, your pistol still stay in your holster, like all that stuff when men were men, uh, men were men back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he was big in the sport, uh, super knowledgeable about guns, and you know really helped me get started uh, in terms of you know the buy once, cry once. You know what 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 I should purchase. You know what would not be the right purchase. Uh, he's a Smith, so he was able to you know mill this down or you know, I'm left-handed, everything's wrong for me. So, you know, helping <laughs> me with safeties and helping me figure out timing of extractors and crazy stuff like that. Uh, and just, you know, he was the, one of those people who say, you know, you, you, you never miss fast enough to win. And, you know, it's one of those things that kind of sticks with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And those are awesomely two great guys who, you know, helped you out in the sport and uh, you know, you'll, you can probably never say thank you to them enough because, you know, they, they kind of sparked a seed and, you know, kept you progressing and kept you, you know, on the path that you are on now. And, and that's truly like, you know, something like I think of my mentors and I can't thank them enough for what they've done for me either. So.
1: Yeah. And I have to kind of cheat and throw David in there too, because it's, you said not with the, not with the company and not with the sponsor, but, uh, I was, uh, I was I was very appreciative of David's help and David's mentoring before he became a part of the MPA team. So uh, I'd, I'd like to throw it back out to, to David as well because he was uh, he's definitely been a big part of it for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I do enjoy when I get time to conversate with David. Uh, it's always nice to chit chat with him and uh, bounce ideas off and ask him why this, especially when uh, you know you first kind of the guns came out and you kind of I kind of looked at him and I was like, so why why a you know, EGW full metal extractor instead of like a, an aftech or vice versa. And then he just explained the knowledge dump on you. And then it's like, eh, too much knowledge, bro. Too much. <laughs> yeah,
1: he starts giving you science. And I'm like, whoa, like Ricky Bobby is a driver. You, you can like flux capacitor, whatever you need to do. You tell me what load I need to use and let me get a few rounds to zero it and let me drive. Like, <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. tell you what it's doing that is not right for me and we'll adjust it from there. That's basically how we've gone about this deal
0: hmm absolutely no but david's a good dude if uh if anyone actually hasn't um go back into the podcast archive and you'll find the episode with david hopefully we'll do an updated one with him soon because i, I really do want to get him on here after he kind of developed the open gun you know and finally got it kind of to where it's sitting at now so i'll have to get him back here on here at some point but now that we're oh, kind of yeah. we're kind of segued into that part um this is the part of the show where i let you I necessarily i call it pay the bills so this is where i want you to plug your sponsors. Yeah, you know, truly, give a big old shout out near the end of the show.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, like I said, I, I, I really don't know how I got to where I am. I'm just that middle of the road B class shooter that you know Travis took a chance on, and I, I can't. When I say Travis, I mean Travis Tomasi. He's the captain of our team MPA. and you look at the other names that are on this list, and you find mine. You're like, well, who is this guy? Who is he, and why is he here? And I'm I can't really answer that question either, but they've been nice enough to keep to, uh, to keep me around. So certainly want to plug Team MPA and the open guns, the new limited optic guns that uh, they've got. Travis is throwing around and that some of the other guys are throwing around. Caleb's throwing around one of those new limited optic guns and seems to be doing pretty well with it. Um, the other sponsors that we've got, I'm not sure if you can see them in there. All right? Not, but uh, lovely. My, uh, my Isotune Sports are what the ears I'm using right now for our podcast. It's what I've been using mm-hmm. as my my microphone and my ears for the whole time. That's what I use out on the range. I use them work in South Carolina, being out on the range for 12 hours in the day. Uh, they're comfortable in your ears. They keep a charge. They muffle what needs to be muffled and they amplify what needs to be amplified. So I absolutely love these things. Uh, we talked about the dominate defense belt a little earlier, uh, keeping that thing together, being able to ratchet that Mach one belt down is life changing. It's a, uh, it's like it's, it's kind of odd it's it's you pick up the outer belt and you feel it and you're like oh, i'm not really sure and you pick up the inner belt and you're like oh, i'm not really sure but when you put the two of those things together it's amazing this the, the actual system that you have you, you really need both and that the way that the the inner belt kind of comes together to give you that little bit of elasticity to move it together gives you that extra little bit of cinch that you can't really get even with a ratchet strap on a regular belt uh, they don't work that well
0: um
1: uh-huh. uh, Let's see, DivTech. I can't leave out my man Nathan with DivTech and his magnets. Uh, those things are lifesavers on. Can't tell you, it seems to be coming back around the flare of those unloaded starts, uh, mags on belt, unloaded starts, or mags on barrels, unloaded starts, and be able to have a magnet to throw that first mag on. That yeah, yeah, Well, we shoot open, but to actually have to throw a mat one on there to be able to change to, it's nice to be able to have those there and to be able to hold my fan when I'm uh, ROing. Uh, I got a little attachment where I can put my fan on my DivTech magnets. Pretty
0: awesome. That's and, pretty cool. I, I didn't think about putting a mag, a fan on my magnet.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm an office mouse. I sit in there all day long on a computer. So I'm in air conditioning and I'm a very pasty fellow, as you can see. Mm-hmm. So uh, outdoors, the, that big orange ball in the sky, thankfully he's not out there this, this evening. It's kind of overcast, but he's not my friend. So everything that, that I can do, every advantage that I can take when I'm outside, I need it and I take it. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree too. I definitely, uh, I'm one of those weirdos. I got this tip from a buddy of mine is I wear those like moisture wicking, like almost fishing hoodies, those um, thin lightweight hoodies for UV and I have the ones with the hoods and I wear those pretty much underneath under my jerseys just to keep me nice. I'm a little bit warmer, but I will say the sun is off me and it is quite enjoyable.
1: I should have my new zero sports long sleeve summertime hoodie uh, with my MPA jersey logo information on it here within just the next couple of weeks. Uh, I saw a couple of those that the, some other guys were wearing it at South Carolina, and it took me a while to get on board with, like you said, like the the hook stuff, uh, those mm-hmm. moisture wick and long sleeve things. Like uh, It's just felt like to me like long sleeves would be terrible, and I, I tried one of those shirts, and it's a little uncomfortable until you start to sweat, but man, once you start sweating, it's amazing the the difference. How much cooler I feel, and you know, I save. It'll mm-hmm. save I don't know three point six billion dollars a year in sunblock, basically.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the Ray Zero Sport material is pretty fantastic as it is. Like the the regular jersey material is nice. So I can't imagine oh, yeah. what that'll feel like as the you know the long sleeve hood. Hood models, yeah, so that'd I'll be let you of... know in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's cool. I do have. Um, I guess. Oh, and this, I guess, is Chris. If people actually wanted to talk to you, to this mid, you know, you know, B class, middle of the road, nobody shooter, uh, where could they uh, if they want to talk to you? Where where's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Uh, best way is probably uh, once I finally got onto uh, the team MPA, Lauren over there at MPA convinced me to get on the gram. So uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, the wrong-handed Delta Slinger on Instagram. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, boom, people! If you want to get a hold of Chris, talk to him about MPA, you know, any of his other sponsors, or just him in general and shooting. If if you want to go shoot his match, go talk to him too. He'll probably be more than willing to talk to you about that as well. And uh, but uh, yeah so go check him out guys at whatever his the wrong-handed delta singer i'll mess it up i just I usually type his name in it and it pops up but that's because i follow him so go do that too but uh chris brother <laughs> thank you for coming on i've had actually a really good time talking to you and uh, uh having a good conversation so i thank you for your time
1: awesome i appreciate it thank you very much for you know taking some time you must be pretty hard up for guests you got all the way down to me i appreciate
0: no, it <laughs> no don't don't feel like it's that way but i definitely try to make a round robin but uh uh, listeners, until next time, get out and do the things. I will see you on the next one.